What do you have? A drum and a hat. A drum and a hat? Where did you find it? There. What's on your shirt? A raccoon. A raccoon. Do you miss school? This was episode 104. That's how old I am on the inside. Especially with my kind of diet. The guest was Rogelio Juarez. Practice that for 45 minutes. We'll see how it sounds. I played a crane. You played with the crane. Rogelio is a short story writer. A few of his works are published. I'm going to find them. I'll post the links in the show notes. So you can check them out. I really enjoyed it. Give it a listen. Subscribe. Rate. Share the podcast. Like the podcast. Hate the podcast. I don't know. But thank you for listening. It's episode 104. Just because podcast. Did I say that yet? I'm here with Rogelio Juarez. Man, I've been practicing that all day. Hey, that was pretty good. <laughs> I failed. I failed so hard. Um, I'm, I'm glad we're, we're doing this. I remember I messaged you a couple months ago. You know, we were talking about whether we felt comfortable going out because of coronavirus. And then now it's totally full blown. Um, how's yeah, your family doing? The worst has happened, it seems. Yeah, totally. Um, we're good. I mean, we're really lucky. Um, you know, to be able to stay in and yeah. my wife is working from home. Um, I'm a stay at home dad. So like the logistics are the same. It's just, everything is harder, you know? Right. Yeah. And I, I, I assume that's, um, really hard with a two year old. I'm now having to do online content for my students. Uh, and that's super tricky with, um, a two year old running around and, um, Oh Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, with the time with my wife, um, she gets to work from home uh, two days a week. So then I just cram everything in those two days, but it's, it's crazy. What I wanted to jump in with you, cause this is, this is pretty cool. You were referred to by, um, Yvonne. He said, you should have this guy as a guest. And I said, how did you get my phone number? No. Um, where I want to start with, you know, you said you were influenced by your parents and their, and their story. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. I think I am. You know, my dad passed away and I was very young. Um, but his family has been in the Southwest for like 250, 300 years, you know, before there was an America, Arizona, Mexico. And my mom was born in Mexico in Ciudad Juarez, Mm. Chihuahua. Um, so she came here as a kid, you know, among Mexican Americans, I feel like there's so many unique stories out there. It's not just one monolithic story, but yeah, their, their lives. I still, I still try to get as much information as I can from them. But, you know, the immigrant experience is hard to talk about. It's hard to live. So that's, that's kind of where I draw some of my inspiration from. You live in Arizona, which is not a, a great state as far as um, being a person of color and being an immigrant or even that whole situation. When did you start figuring out you loved writing and you were good at writing? I read Hector one and a half times. Uh, I was trying to speed through it right before this, um, unfortunately. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. When did you fall in love with it? I, f- I feel like there's always uh, a two-part yeah. to it. Yeah. When you get introduced to it, and I feel like there's another jumping point where you think, 
wow, I'm actually pretty good at this. Yeah, um, it's kind of it's kind of a long ass story. I don't I don't know. If I will, we have forty uh, um, minutes according to Zoom. Okay, I'll try my best. <laughs> uh, I guess the you know the big sort of spark for me was actually meeting my wife. Um, she okay. was like one of the first pers- one of the first people that seriously read some of my early stuff. Um, I must have been like 25, 26 or something. Kind of, you know, out of college. I was a terrible student pretty much my whole life. <laughs> but, you know, going way back, I think it started really with reading. I think mm-hmm. it has to start with reading. Because, like, to me, writing is kind of just almost the same as reading. It's just, like, at an Olympic level. Right. But, you know, I lost my dad when I was 10 years old. So I was, I was going through something where I, I didn't have the words to even describe it. Mm-hmm. Like it was ineffable. So yeah, that was a hard point in my life. And I guess it's like easy to say, you know, I escaped into books. But you know, I, I did I did do that. But I found through so much reading that I actually gained so much like equipment for living mm-hmm. through through literature, through reading. For me it wasn't escapism. It was like the realest thing. And how did No, it totally made sense. And um that's pretty awesome that your wife had that, that huge impact on you. My wife reads all the time, so many books. And then she says, what, what have you read? And I, I, menus? I don't know. I don't. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to read more. It's crazy how you can get so caught up in the pages, in the words, and then two hours have gone by. Yeah. Something like that. How did your mom take to uh, your writing as a, as a passion? Um, yeah, you know, I come, I come from like an immigrant family, so it's like, you need to go to college and you need uh-huh. to get a job and it's like, that's that. So, you know, it was hard. It was hard in the beginning for them to understand. It still kind of is a little bit hard. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's still a process. It's still, and then there's also like the question of like, well, you know, I don't want to like air dirty laundry, you know, talking about my family or our culture or stuff like that. But I try to just keep my work like my work. Mm-hmm. And my goals, my goals, and I just try to love my family as much as I can. I, I totally hear you when I, because my parents are from the Philippines, and so when I started doing acting or even studying psychology, it was always, "What job can you do with that, Michael? <laughs> Why would you do that?" And I, I said, "I love it. Does that count as a thing?" And then yeah. it would be, "Well, does that pay the bills?" And I said, "No." I I got, if you love what you're doing, something is wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, it just doesn't uh, connect. Oh, so I saw you were going to do a, did the session happen in February about, oh gosh, good job, Michael Lobo. Where is it? <laughs> Suspending damage in fiction? Yeah, yeah I, pre- I presented that at um, the Virginia Piper conference. Okay. The Desert Nights Rising Stars uh, conference. So yeah, that, that went down. There were a lot of, you know, uh, presentations there and I, I was with the other fellows and all the conference goers. So that was awesome. Did, did you uh, facilitate a session? Yeah, that's, that's the one I did. Can you speak a little bit about that? Before, before all this, maybe in December, there was this big controversy in the writing world about this book coming out, American Dirt. And I don't want to talk too much about it, but it was kind yeah. of trying to go around this question of like representation mm-hmm. and how do we talk about marginalized perspectives, marginalized narratives. So for me, it was kind of taking some different ideas uh, some from like the sociological field, this idea of like suspending damage, marginalized people are not damaged because they're marginalized. Mm-hmm. They're damaged because they exist in a much bigger system than the, than themselves. And to me, that's what literature is. I mean, it's like every, all these different kinds of people and stories coming to the same table mm-hmm. and almost like a family. 
and air, airing everything out. Um, so for me, this book that came out was like very a simplified version of the immigrants of the immigrant crossing over into the United States illegally. And it just provided a lot of dumb answers. I heard a little bit about that. And then did you major in writing? No, uh, political oh, science. Oh, wow. So do you find either when you're reading or you're trying to, to figure stuff out with, with literature, um, is it easy for you to find authors who are, who are people of color that could actually genuinely talk about the immigrant experience or whatever the experience you might be, be writing about? Yeah, that's a hard, that's a, that's a good, but really hard question. <laughs> Cause I kind of go back to one of my favorite authors, um, Chimamanda Adichie. She's a Nigerian writer and, you know, she had this really famous Ted talk. It was called the danger of a single story hmm. where it's like, if there's one story about one topic, then it shuts down the conversation when, you know, literature should be more about the opening up the conversation and you're not necessarily providing answers, but providing better questions. Can you share a few of the obstacles, I guess, when, when you're having these conversations and not fully providing maybe the answer or what you other want the other person to think, but what are some obstacles that kind of get in the way of that? Like me personally, or do I think uh, like writing in general? Let's go you personally. Uh, yeah, I'm still trying to figure that out. I grew up in Arizona, which was like a weird ass place to be in uh -huh. uh, as a person of color. But I, yeah, I went to like the best public school in Arizona. I went to Chandler High. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it's an interesting question. Because like when it comes to Mexican-Americans, you know, there's the big sort of Chicano movement in the 60s and the 70s. And a lot of great literature came out of that. But it's like a different, it's a different time now. So it's hard for me to say like, oh, I'm a Chicano. I'm a Chicano writer. Because a part of me feels like, you know, I wasn't there marching. I actually come from, I, my lifestyle is pretty privileged. You know, I'm not undocumented. I'm a male. I have all these things that, I, that are working for me. Um, so for me, it's, it's a constant process. But I, I connect with like the Chicano writers. I, I think I come out of that tradition. Um, and that's what I want to study, you know, when I start my master's degree. So are you still able to go to New York still? Um, yeah, this... still, I'm still uh, in the plans, which is looking like crazy to move across the country right now. Are you ready for that, I guess, mentally and emotionally? I don't know what. That's yeah, a huge like, step. time is like a, a weird constant right now. So it's hard yeah. to, um, you know, luckily my wife is like the most organized person ever. Mm. Um, so she's, I'm actually just going to rely on her. It's worked out so far for me. So. Uh, yeah. That's like my wife too. She, <laughs> she has everything organized and planned and I'm kind of just, well, whatever happens, we'll see. <laughs> what was it like when you were letting your wife read those first few writings of yours? I feel like that'd be a very vulnerable thing to let someone yeah, in on. For sure. I, I'm, I'm all for it. I think like the person you're with, like you, that vulnerability needs to be built in and it needs mm. to be like something you've worked on, you know? And I think when I, when I imagine my ideal reader, who's going to read, you know, whatever I write, like they have to be, they have to be like a co-conspirator with you. Mm. Um, they have to be there sort of building the narrative, buying this reality, bringing their own imagination into it. To me, th that's kind of like when you build a life with somebody, that's kind of what you're doing. Yeah. Do you see things? <coughs> so the way I connected is I, I studied acting and I, and I, um, so now when I watch movies or TV shows or whatever, I'm always nitpicking the acting instead of just enjoying it for whatever it is. 
because you're so immersed in in writing and and storytelling and structure, uh, whatever it may be, do you find yourself doing that? Are you able to turn that part of yourself off and just enjoy or? Absolutely. Like it's, it's there. I can't turn it off. So I think I bet like my 12 year old self could actually read faster than I can now. Yeah. Even when I'm just reading, I'm just thinking about it different, differently, like wearing multiple hats. Yeah, but absolutely. Actually, I'm kind of interested in acting. You know, I kind of used to like look down on actors like, oh, what are they really doing out there? Yeah. I um, still don't know what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, write, writing characters like in a narrative, that's obviously different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, actors carry so much responsibility for a story. I mean, they have to embody the emotion. And I never really thought of it like that. Yeah, it, it's pretty crazy because you have to find some sort of nugget in your own personal experience to draw on because maybe I've maybe I've never killed anybody or whatever the, the story is. But I have to find some sort of anger or, or distraught to draw from. It's always a balance of you want to definitely honor what's what the writer had intended but then you have to find a sort of personal spin on it yeah that's interesting being a parent your life flips upside down right what what are some things you you sort of want to mold and and set forth for your child to make sure they grow up sort of more open-minded i guess right more loving so we're we're very careful of what we what shows we show our son what books we want to get we always want to make sure there's a lot of females or a lot of male, it's not just male dominated. We want to make sure that he's open to a lot of different things. What sort of things did you and your wife kind of have to figure out? First of all, I don't want them to be a writer. That's like, <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it is kind of like when you have a kid, you very quickly find out the things you didn't talk about. <laughs> yeah. I, I think like maybe the, I don't know, there's just, it feels like it's just like a thousand little things, you know, that culminate yeah. because I mean, we have hopes, we have dreams. Um, I guess like maybe where we're really on the same page is this idea of not building a life around just like the pursuit of wealth or success. Mm. If you look to me, like if you look at society or even like this epidemic, like those are kind of like the key questions that are just bringing, bringing this country down. Um, disposing of people and like to me that is like the question of the age is like how much value is a human life so i guess when you create when you like create one and you raise one um that question i think has to be in the back of your mind is like how how are you sort of getting them ready to not dispose of people not dispose of the earth or to know that what happens anywhere in the world is going to affect you somewhere somehow as as a teacher longer than i've i've been a dad that is one of the trickier things because my, my students are four and five years old and for them to grasp, well, if I want all the Legos, why can't I have all the Legos? <laughs> and I go, yeah, but that kid's crying because he doesn't have any Legos. To teach and help shape that moral, moral compass is, is, uh, is really tricky. It's Yeah. This makes me think of like in December when sort of the news of the coronavirus was kind of like barely coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw, I read this article saying like how Americans aren't really going to wear masks because it's on, they're only, if you wear a mask, it's only 85% effective or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's like if the entire city wears, wears masks, then this like mutual, this mutuality is happening where it's like you're protecting your neighbor by wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. So for me, the American response in December just says so much about our culture. 
like all we care about is ourselves like oh it's only oh, yeah. percent effective for me then you know fuck no i'm not gonna wear that right but now it's like we're all in this together like so i think america has like a reckoning that needs to happen oh yeah it's it, it's pretty crazy with um with how we view each other uh, specifically in this country where it's it's just me 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 and i'm not going to be affected only the old people are dying which then and you're like that that's misinformation what are you talking about you could carry it to somebody else but it seemed like yeah everybody's just kind of looking out for them and then there were those protests i think a couple of weeks ago or last week mm-hmm. with um these people wanting to just reopen everything and even that too it was interesting if i kept seeing you know if that was if that was a group of people of color with just a bunch of guns walking around it would not have been uh, accepted as much as it was mm-hmm. well, how, what do you do when you get stuck writing um i usually just give up and sell for a very long time <laughs> oh, no. yeah. What is, yeah what is your writing process like what what happens a uh, story an individual what's yeah i'm still figuring it out all right that's cool um, that works you know, as an artist, I think like a good a word that I don't hear used enough is like strategies. Mm-hmm. You get different strategies. So, I mean, strategies, strategies are not going to work every single time. Right. Um, different problems will present themselves and different strategies will work. Um, but the longer, to me, the longer that I've stayed in this, and I, I kind of threatened to quit writing like every two months or so. Yeah. <laughs> but but the, long, the longer you stay in, the more strategies you have. Um, I, I write short stories. So, I've, I've published three of them. I want my first book to be a collection of short stories, but short stories are very like unforgiving. They're very like, as a writer, you kind of feel like you're on a tightrope. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's very little room for air, but I think they're the best teachers, short stories. But um, I guess what works for me is, well, there's kind of this debate in writing is like who controls the story, the author or the characters. Mm. And so that's kind of one of the debates that's going on. But I think both of those sort of ideas have to work in conjunction with the story, like what works for the story. Um, And sometimes that means you listen to the characters and that means sometimes you have to shut up the characters or, you know, over overpower them or be like, I'm sorry, you're, you're a great character. I really like your life, but this is not your story. Right. Story story. So so I think that is, I guess, in a word, that's like intuition almost. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love basketball. And I always, whenever, whenever I'm around writers and we're talking about craft and stuff, I'm always the guy who's like talking about basketball for some reason. Uh-huh. I see a lot of similarities between the two of them um, where it's like you put in a lot of work um, in the gym, practicing. Um, but when you're out there, it's like something, something else has to, the, the preparation is a part of it. The mm-hmm. process is a part of it, but there's something else. There's something mysterious. There's something like um, improvisational. Whenever I would do plays and I'd have to memorize a bunch of lines and then you go on stage, you're right. You can, you could study your blocking, your, your lines as much as you want, but it, it's sort of like, and I don't know if this happens to you, but when I step on stage, I sort of black out. <laughs> and then once I'm off and done, then I'm me, I'm back. And yeah, this thing just takes over where it, you just perform everything. You just do everything. And, and I kind of find that too with, with podcasting is, you know, I have the questions sort of ready uh, with, with the interviews or with the people, but then I come in, I record for whatever, 40 minutes, and then 
I, I just go and then my Serena will say, uh, so how was it? And I go, I think it was good. I don't know. I, I felt like it was pretty. And then I'll listen to it later and I go, oh, wow, that was a, a beautiful conversation. Yeah. Um, you said you were um, editing a book? Yes? No. Story. First. Um, I'm helping another <laughs> author edit. Yes. That's what it is. Her book is coming out. Um, yeah, she just, I, she, another friend recommended me to her. So mm-hmm. it was kind of just like a little side, side gig that I had. How does that work? Cause that'd be really interesting. Um, as authors helping other authors, what you, there must be a, a line, right? I'm, I'm assuming that you don't want your sort of writer lens to overtake hers, but she's, they're coming to you for a reason for yeah. help. Yeah. I don't really know how that works. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they already paid me for it, but. <laughs> oh, perfect. Sounds good. Uh, but no, she, um, yeah, it, it does. You have to be very careful. And, you know, we all sort of have our, our own aesthetic, our own ideas about writing. Um, but you want to just try to help the author achieve their, achieve their vision. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how this idea of workshop works. Writers, they take in their work and everyone reads it. And then everyone sort of puts in their two cents. But it's kind of like a, it's almost like a dangerous process mm. um, because, you know, it's like you're driving a car and all of a sudden there's 10 people behind you telling you how to drive, yeah. where to go, what you're doing wrong, what you're doing well. Um, so it's a weird process, but I think, I think most, I, I don't even know if it improves writing this idea of workshop. Mm-hmm. Um, editing definitely does. Cause like writing takes time and you know, each draft is usually stronger, mm-hmm. but um, this idea of workshop, I think all it does is, it, it gives you some certainty because you need to have the courage to be like, well, that's, you're, you're a great writer, but I, I don't, I disagree with that, you know? Mm-hmm. So it gives you, it gives you some certainty and it just, it just builds up like your, your skin. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about Hector for a little bit. What was sort of the, the journey with yourself in, in molding it all together in your brain and, uh, and then putting it um, pen to pen to paper or. Yeah. Script. So this short story took me like three, three years to write. And oh, really? so there, there are, yeah, multiple versions of it. But yeah, I was, I was, uh, you know, when in my early twenties, I worked at a few national parks. Mm. So I met, I met these, this group of people called the Parkies. Um, and they've always just sort of been in my brain a little bit. Um, they're such, to me, they're just like a unique sort of, I don't even know what they are, but it's like a, it's a community. It's a community that exists and lives. Um, and I think ultimately that's, that's what I want to write about. I want to write about how communities work, um, how they're, how communities are imagined and how can they can be reimagined. But this specific story, it happened, I think right after like, um, SB 1070 in Arizona. Oh, that was great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I was, I was not actually in Arizona when that happened. You know, I was working at national parks I lived in New Orleans for a little bit, but you know, this was happening back in my home and I knew like, this is a hot, this is like, um, this is like a war zone almost, you know? And the debate was really like, what does it mean to be American? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, that debate is like a long debate of, of American history. Um, so this, I guess it just sort of bubbled in my mind, almost like a, like a dish, like you're cooking and all these ingredients kind of just got put together and then finally, about two or three years ago, I just, I found the story within that whole mess of yeah. stuff. 
And I, yeah, I guess it's just how it worked out. I want to read the other two because you said you had, you had two other ones. But sure. what I really enjoyed with Hector as I'm reading it and now that I'm trying to read other books as well is that um, I find, and I'm not like, I'm not qualified, I guess, to, cause to critique writing so much, but I really loved your way of writing in, in Hector. I, I felt at ease. I felt like I'm going along on this trip with them. I'm, I'm in these parks with, with these guys and or I'm in the kitchen with, with mom there was there wasn't this this burden of all this other stuff going on and it was it was really refreshing and nice and i really i enjoyed it i just i went along right through it and um i really loved it yeah thank you um yeah that's what i wanted to be you know the the writing that i love i sort of forget that i'm reading literature i forget that i'm reading a book yeah um and i feel like in the in the, the stories i most love is like there's room for me inside of it mm-hmm. to participate, um, to let my own sort of imag- imaginative leapings and ideas also interact, you know, with the characters and the meanings and the descriptions. Um, so yeah, that was that was kind of that's a big sort of thing that I try to do. Yeah, well, you nailed it on the head, dude. Um, well, we I usually end with um, question. Well, I know this whole thing has been questions, but. Uh, a little more random questions than the rest. I really thank you so much for your time. Where can people find uh, your short stories? Um, so yeah, so I have one that I'm just finishing up. I have, the first short story I ever wrote is in a literary journal called the James Franco Review, mm-hmm. which is actually which actually doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> but oh, no. it's, they sort of went out of business, but it's still there online. And there's quite a few writers that publish there that I, that I like really respect. So I'm always like, I'm still plugging it, even though it's dead. One of a, a great author, Zinzi Clemens, was also published um, in the James Franco Review. But um, some of my poetry is in Zocalo Public Square. I'm not really a poet. You, my, my poems like make me embarrassed and they make me want to just leave the room immediately. <laughs> I'm just finishing up right now to submit to a bunch of literary journals. Okay. So hopefully there should be a new story coming out soon. That's awesome, man. I'm so excited. So the questions, here we go. What's the best part of your day? I guess when my kid jumps on me when I'm still in my bed and he yeah. gives like the best hugs, they're kind of like borderline not appropriate, but he's two, so yeah. it's fine. <laughs> what gets progressively weirder the more you think about it? Mm, that, I want to say I have two answers sort of. Yeah. I guess that there might, they might be related. Uh, climate change, like I go down some deep, dark oh, man. rabbit holes when I think yeah. about that too much. And also like space, like just thinking about like, where, where we are, how it all works. Yes. Yeah. So I guess like the universe is my answer. Yeah. No, that, that totally works because then, yeah, I'll, I'll try to explain space to my students and they go, so that's a planet. No, a nebula is a collection of, and then it goes into this other thing. Well, well, then what's that? And then I have to explain this other thing. Well, and then it eventually hits the wall where I go, I have to Google it. Hold on. I got to Google this. What was your favorite vacation or where would you like to go? So this was actually, when I was a kid, this was like the worst vacation. But looking back on it, it kind of, I kind of liked how it went down. My uncle and my mom, they drove us to Tucson for some reason. And I took a really long nap. And when I woke up, they convinced me that I was in Mexico. 
Uh, so, <laughs> so they spent, I was like eight or nine. So they spent like, I spent two hours thinking I was in Mexico and I was just outside of Tucson, Arizona. Yeah. Oh, and I was man. like thinking there's a lot of like overweight white people in Mexico. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> yeah. What would you do if someone left a duffel bag filled with $2 million on your, in your backyard? Oh shit. I feel like this is like five or six different movie plot lines. You know what? I'd give it, I'd give it to Yvonne cause he just got engaged. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh, last night. This fool. Oh, okay. I'll forgive him then for, for until, that's awesome. Okay. Well, that. So I'd want to see the best Croatian wedding in my life. Oh, the food would be amazing. What is the dumbest thing someone has argued with you about? Um, well, t- to take this back to writing, um, one of my first workshops, um, one of my characters, I forgot who it was, but they tried to convince me that I was being racist, that I was being <laughs> what? With, no, with my own character. <laughs> they were trying to be like, you know, the Mexican culture is a very beautiful culture. I just don't think you should write this, which is kind of like a weird racist answer. What are some of your personal rules that you try to never break? Like rules as a person. Rules as a person. Dang, I, don't, I, don't, I need to think about this for a second. I feel like I've been breaking a lot of my own rules lately. So, maybe, you know, I think this is like a reckoning for me. <laughs> oh, yay. <laughs> Hi. All right. Someone's up. Yeah. You know, my wife and I, I think we just try to, we try to pick, put people first in sort of our decision making. You know, a lot of people in our lives are like really well off and successful. Mm-hmm. And my wife and I, we sort of have a life where it's like, well, we're kind of barely making it. When you, when you put people first, like your life is going to be hard and it's going to be, it's not going to be safe. For me, I guess that's, that's a rule that we try to live by. It's hard, but we try to. I love that though, because you're putting genuine worth in the people around you or, or your community or whatever it may be uh, over maybe having a nicer car or whatever materialistic thing. What weird childhood fear do you still kind of hold on to? So I think my sisters, they always tell the story how I was sitting in a movie theater and um, the Chucky movie came on, Child's Play 2. No, dude, no. The entire theater saw a little six-year-old drop his popcorn and run straight out of the movie theater. No. Like dolls, dolls being possessed by things. That is not for me. That is, I want to get as far away as I can from that. Kids things should just be kids things. It should not be... All these movies where the doll comes to life or there's a spirit inside. No, I'm, I'm good. Thank you so much for, for being on. I, I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, thanks, this, was, this was awesome. I'm excited to read more stuff and then more stuff that comes out. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited about the podcast too. I mean, over 100, that's, that's pretty impressive. I'm, uh, it's a lot of whiskey. No, um, but thank you. Yeah, I, it's, been, it's been great talking to people from all walks of life. So it was great when, when Yvonne said, when he recommended you, I was like, yeah, of course. I'll talk to him. That'd be awesome. So I thought sorry. I was going to spend the whole time just like shitting on the podcast form. <laughs> <laughs> you totally could. It's such, a, it's such a weird idea. Like, hey, can I talk to you for a little bit? Um, it's, such a, it's such a weird thing, especially when I have to explain, what is a podcast? And I go, mom, it's, it's like I talk to people. So you're a talk show? I, I guess it's just me talking with people. Because I remember when I was an actor, when younger, I thought, well, I'm going to win an Oscar one day. I changed my goals to, well, if I love what I'm doing, that should be what's important. So yeah. then when I jumped into podcasting, 
was like, I need to get this many listens, this many downloads, this many subscribers. But then I thought, well, no, if I'm genuinely enjoying the conversations I'm having and I've had random people come up to me like, Hey, I listened to that episode with, with so-and-so is really powerful. It moved me or whatever. That was nice. What are some of the goals with you in writing? Like, how does that translate? Yeah, I don't know. Writers are kind of assholes is what I've discovered. (laughs) (laughs) I think everyone is a little Um, bit. They can be be really great too. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I've met some super, you know, I've been in some spaces where it's like, yeah, like Harvard, Yale, published um, by Random House. So I've been in these spaces where it's like, there are a lot of ambitious people. So I, yeah, I guess, I guess what keeps it grounded is like, you have your work, you have your process and you have your relationship to your work Mm -hmm. as well. So to me, that's, that's what has to be like uh, real. That's what has to remain, remain real is Mm -hmm. your relationship to your work. So, I mean, every, you could get as many validate validating things that come, but like your relationship to your work could be messed up. I don't even want to do this anymore. So I think if you just stay in it for the right reasons and it's interesting to you, I think that's kind of where art starts. I don't know if that's an answer. You know, writers that, don't give that was, answers. <laughs> that was the correct answer. It was correct when you said writers are assholes. But yeah, thank you again, man. Yeah, thank you. Have a great day. All right, man. You too. Take care. How are you sort of getting them ready to not dispose of people, not dispose of the earth?